Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Before the George Floyd incident, ladies and gentlemen, my dad, who, as you know, died this past June, predicted that at some point in this country there would be fighting in the streets, and I didn't believe him. But now since George Floyd and the explosion of the woke culture, regrettably, I'm starting to think he was correct. And you might ask, well, why do you think he's correct? Because totalitarianism in its soft form is going mainstream right now. And unless we do something about it now, it's going to overtake the country. And we're going to talk about that here today. It actually goes back to Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And, and just providentially, as you know, about a month and a half ago, I did a whole program on Solzhenitsyn's Harvard commencement address in 1978. But here's what Solzhenitsyn said uh, when he was arrested February 12th, 1974. His message to the Russian people before he was basically kicked out of the country and came west, he urged the Russian people to live, not by lies. And that's the title of a new book by my guest today. It's a critical book. Rod Dreher is my guest. He's the senior editor of the American conservative. He's a real journalist, ladies and gentlemen. He's written for the New York Post, Dallas Morning News, National Review, uh, the South Florida Sun Sentinel, the Washington Times, the Baton Rouge Advocate. He's been published in the Wall Street Journal and Commentary, the Weekly Standard, BeliefNet, Real Simple, many other publications. He's also appeared on NPR, ABC News, CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, the BBC. He lives right now in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, with his wife and three children. Rod, welcome to the program. And I got to start by asking you, and this is a fabulous book, but I got to ask you, why did you write Live Not By Lies? Well, thanks for having me, Frank. Uh, five years ago, I got a phone call from a doctor at the Mayo Clinic, a friend of a friend, and he was scared and felt like he had to tell somebody this. His elderly mother lived with him, lives with him and his wife, and uh, she, though, had been born and raised in Czechoslovakia under communism. She had spent four years in a Czech communist prison back in the 1950s for her Christian faith. And she said, son, the things I see happening in America now remind me of what it was like in my home country when communism came. And the doctor felt like he had to tell some journalist this. Well, when I heard that, Frank, I thought, well, this is pretty scary, but you know, she's an old lady. Maybe she's just getting scared watching too much cable news. My mom is old. She gets kind of scared too. So I, I called this couple I know in England. They are both uh, refugees from Hungarian communism. They defected in the 1960s. And I asked them, is this old Czech lady, is she, is she onto something? They said, absolutely. We're sitting here every day, they told me, in our retirement, watching TV, reading the papers, and thinking this is just like what we ran away from. And so over the next five years, Frank, I got, uh, when I would go speak around the country at conferences, things like that, and I would run into somebody who had been raised in the Soviet Union or in one of the communist countries of Eastern Europe and got out, I would put the question to them, are you seeing things now that remind you of what you fled? 
every single one of them says yes. And if you ask them, uh, if you talk to them long enough, they'll get really angry that Americans will not take them seriously. So I wrote the book uh, to explain what they're seeing, but also to get advice from Christians who live in those countries about what we Americans can do to get ready for what's coming. Well, it is coming, Rod, and you do a wonderful job and Live Not By Lies to show us how it's coming and what we can do about it. But you draw a distinction between what is known as hard totalitarianism and soft totalitarianism. Can you spend a couple of minutes and explain the difference? Sure. Uh, our idea of totalitarianism comes from the Cold War. It uh, comes from George Orwell's 1984. It's the idea of uh, secret police and prisons and gulags, things like that. That's not what we're facing now. Nobody expects Stalinism 2.0. Rather, this totalitarianism is going to be soft. It's going to come to us and is coming to us through the, the institutions and the practices here in our capitalist liberal democracy. Totalitarianism, at its most basic, in its most basic sense, Frank, is what you get when an entire society is politicized, where there is nothing that doesn't that, that isn't touched by politics. It is possible within a liberal democracy to have totalitarianism. That's what we're dealing with now. Just today, before we were talking, I saw that the California Park Service had put up a sign in the Muir Woods, the, uh, the Redwood Forest north of San Francisco, calling it the Queer Woods. And they, it's totally serious here. They have a, a, an explanation that they want to embrace queer ecology, and they want you to think about queer theory as you're walking through the woods. It sounds like a joke, but this is what we mean by totalitarianism. There is no area of life untouched by wokeness and by this social justice agenda, which uh, is based on identity politics, on race and sexuality. We're going to get into that. In fact, you draw some distinctions in the book that we're going to bring up here as we go. You write this, uh, Rod, and again, the book is called Live Not By Lies. You write, uh, under the guise of diversity, inclusivity, and equity, and other egalitarian jargon, the left creates powerful mechanisms for controlling thought and discourse and marginalizes dissenters as evil. How do they accomplish this? They accomplished this ingeniously. Uh, there's a man I quote in the book, uh, one of the top intellectuals of the 20th century, Rene Girard, who was a Christian himself. It, he said that this is like the Antichrist. And what he meant by that was to say that the Antichrist, when he comes, is going to be more Christian than Christ. And, and Girard said that what we're seeing now with this social justice movement, he said this 20 years ago, mind, mind you, he said that we're seeing people take the things that we recognize as good, you know, standing up for the victim, being compassionate, but they're taking it to the next level, they're weaponizing it, and they are turning it into a new inquisition and a mechanism of totalitarian control. Because they're identifying people who dissent from the radical left uh, view of, of what is moral, what is just, and they're making them not just wrong, but evil. It has become a rival religion. I try to tell people if you're if you're understanding uh, the woke movement and the social justice movement as a political movement, you're missing the point. It is a false religion, and what has to be fought as a false religion. In fact, you uh, I know you you say that as you just mentioned, it's not really going to be solved by some sort mm -hmm. of election, right? 
Uh, yeah, maybe uh, Donald Trump uh, has done a few good things against political correctness, but he's not the solution to the problem. The problem runs much deeper than that. And as we get into the program and go further into your book, Live Not By Lies, we're going to suggest some some action steps that you can take, ladies and gentlemen, to push back against this soft totalitarianism. You also write this, uh, Rod, and uh, you say that today's totalitarianism demands allegiance to a set of progressive beliefs, many of which are incompatible with logic and certainly with Christianity. Uh, you also say this, that Christians cannot endorse any form of social justice that denies biblical teaching. Okay, so which beliefs are they putting forward that are contrary to biblical teaching, in your view? Well, uh, first and foremost, uh, the LGBT agenda. Mm -hmm. They are teaching that there is no such thing as male and female, that it's all a social construct. They are teaching uh, that marriage is not rooted in, in biblical truth or in any kind of transcendence. It is only a social uh, matter, socially constructed. I believe, too, that uh, on, on, certainly abortion is something, abortion rights, it goes contrary to the Bible. But I think, too, that the whole question of uh, critical race theory mm. is huge. And this is something that has taken uh, a lot of Christians who are able to see the, the evil of the whole LGBT agenda and transgenderism, but they're falling for critical race theory. Uh, very briefly, what critical race theory does and where it conflicts with the Bible is uh, the Bible tells us that, to quote Solzhenitsyn, the line between good and evil runs down the middle of every human heart. But in critical race theory, it runs between races, between people's identities. This is exactly what the Bolsheviks did in Soviet Russia, except they used social class. In our time, they're using identity. We're talking to Rod Dreher. His brand new outstanding book is called Live Not By Lies. Everybody, Christian or not, should read it. Make sure you get it. We're going to come back much more with Rod in just a minute. I'm Frank Turek. Don't go anywhere. Friends, can you help me with something? Can you go up to iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast and give us a five-star review? Why? It will help more people see this podcast and therefore then hear it. So if you could help us out there, I'd greatly appreciate it. If you're low on the FM dial looking for national public radio, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. That's our intent anyway. You're not going to hear this on NPR. My guest today is Rod Dreher. His brand new book, Live Not By Lies, is must-reading, not only for your, for your health as a Christian, but for the health of the nation. So I highly recommend you pick it up. And Rod, just before the break, we were talking about critical race theory. And President Trump uh, a few months ago said, we're not going to teach critical race theory in the federal government. Now, if Biden winds up prevailing in this, uh, in this uh, election here, he'll probably put that back in. Can you unpack critical race theory a little bit more for us? Yeah. Very generally, critical race theory is a way of approaching social analysis that puts race at the center of everything in society. And they believe, the people who endorse CRT, believe that you cannot escape color. The way that people of my generation, I'm 53, the way we were taught in the post-Martin Luther King era is that you shouldn't see color. You should try to see the content of everyone's character. Critical race theory says, no, you have to see color. Color is all there is. And uh, they, they believe that goodness and wickedness is something that is a, a function of power in society and that it is determined by the color of your skin. Now, it sounds crazy to say this sort of thing, but since the George Floyd 
uh, event this summer and the, the violence that came after that, so many Christians, even conservative Christians, are falling for this because they rightly want to see racial justice. They don't want to see racism and uh, people of color treated badly. But they are being bullied, I believe, into accepting this unbiblical idea of critical race theory, something that I believe is going to turn uh, the races against each other, cause nothing but, uh, but uh, conflict, and ultimately, I fear, lead to violence. But we're seeing Christian ministries fall for this. Why is Christianity, properly understood, Rod, the only real worldview that can get rid of racism? Yeah, because it says that all of us are sinners, that all of us stand uh, in need of a savior, and that we depend on the mercy of God for our salvation. And uh, if it, it says that there's all or all or one in Jesus Christ. You know, I, I think about it as a kid, I was raised in the deep South, uh, born in 1967 after Jim Crow was over, but uh, there was still, of course, a lot of lingering racism there. And for me, when I got to be a teenager to, and became acquainted with the gospel, it was amazing to me to see how the gospel was so clear and talking about how wrong prejudice is and how I'd also could see how much my own people, you know, white Christians in the South had failed at that. So the gospel was liberating for me as a, as a, as a person, as someone who came out of a, a deep Southern culture uh, where racism had stained a lot. But now we're being told by the people on the left, the progressives, that the segregationists, the way they saw the world as uh, between black and white and white people and black people were different, uh, morally different, we're taught that that is what progressives believe now. I mean, it's, it's really, really a shame. And I, I see that segregation is coming back, not from white conservatives now, but from uh, liberals, white, black, and otherwise, who embrace critical race theory. It's just phenomenal. And they're rejecting Christianity as they're doing it. Martin Luther King would be condemned today as a heretic if he came back. Yeah, it's the opposite of judge people on the content of their character. It's actually the op it's opposite of the Bible, critical race theory. It's opposite of what King was trying to promote, being a Christian minister. It's scary, Rod. Now, you write this, and again, the book is called Live Not By Lies. My guest is Rod Dreher. His last name is spelled D-R-E-H-E-R. -E -E you can find several articles. In fact, he, he posts several times a day sometimes at theamericanconservative.com. So check out Rod there in addition to this book. Rod, you write in Live Not By Lies uh, about this idea of oppressor and uh, the people who are oppressed. You write, oppressors are generally white, male, heterosexual, and Christian. The oppressed are racial minorities, women, sexual minorities, and religious minorities. And then you have this, this uh, parenthesis here. You say, curiously, the poor are relatively low on the hierarchy of oppression. For example, a white Pentecostal man living on disability in a trailer park is an oppressor. A black lesbian Ivy League professor is oppressed. How, how do they get away with this, Rod? Well, it just goes to show you how crazy it is. You know, right now I, I've been writing on my blog recently about a woman named Jody Shaw at Smith College. Smith is one of the most elite liberal arts colleges. It's in Northampton, Massachusetts. 
She's a working class white woman who has spoken out against her own college, which is like 90% white, saying that they are creating a hostile work environment because they're forcing everybody to meditate all the time on how terrible you are to be a white person. And uh, I think she's going to end up filing a lawsuit. And I think she's going to win that lawsuit. But these liberals who live in this bubble, this elite bubble, they uh, it's almost like the white liberals are working out their own self-hatred and their own sense of guilt by identifying working class white people as the the evil ones in our midst and, and the, the elite whites have to prove their own goodness, their own bona fides by identifying and denouncing uh, poor whites and working class whites. It's it's like this weird status game that's happening within white culture. But this is how you get ahead today in this society. Uh, one thing I write about in Live Not By Lies, Frank, is that if you don't endorse this sort of, of thing, if you don't endorse the woke agenda, whether it's on critical race theory or sexuality, LGBT, you will not be able to get into law schools, into medical schools. You, your licensing will be affected. It's remarkable. People are going to have to decide, Christian people, if they are willing to suffer the, a loss of professional status and professional income for the sake of standing up for the truth. It's here. Yeah, those listening have listened to this program for a while know that I've been fired by Bank of America and Cisco for writing a book called Correct, Not Politically Correct, How Same-Sex Marriage Hurts Everyone. And that happened in 2011. That was nine years ago. Um, in the name of inclusion, tolerance, and diversity, I was excluded and not tolerated for holding a diverse view. That's where we are. And it's gotten worse since then. So the question is, what can we do about it? We're going to talk about it as the program unfolds. Again, my guest is Rod Dreher. His new book, Live Not By Lies, You Need to Get. Trust me, everybody ought to read this. Now, Rod, at the core of this is something you write that I want to quote here and get your comment on. You write that leftist quote, believe that after humanity is freed from the change that bind us, whiteness, patriarchy, marriage, the gender binary, and so on, we will experience a radically new and improved form of life, unquote. Now, why is that belief false? <laughs> well, it's the old uh, leftist uh, claim that ye shall be as gods. You know, once you shake off the, the authority and become your own god, then you will be free. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and this is just the most contemporary version of this sort of thing. This is what Marx said, Marx and Engels in 1848. If you just get rid of capitalism, then you'll create heaven on earth, you'll create paradise. We know that they created hell on earth for that in order to make paradise. Similarly, that's what these, these leftists are doing now. They've quit paying attention to the economy, and instead they've made culture the battleground. And they believe the only thing making us unhappy is uh, belief in God and traditional family, all these sort of things. And they're determined to cleanse society of all of this in the sake of finding pure happiness and pure utopia. It denies sinfulness. It is the same theology, and that's basically what it is, a theology of sinlessness. It says that all sin is socially created. And if we just change society, we can live uh, in peace and love and happiness forever. Uh, it, it's You don't have to be a Christian to know that that's wrong. That's just wrong. You look at history, but we're going to have to relearn this lesson, Frank, again, it looks like, uh, before, you know, before this all works itself out. Well, Rod, if human beings are inherently good, as I guess they presuppose, why do they create systems that are, that are inherently evil? How does that work? 
<laughs> well, I, I think that what people are really doing, uh, these, these leftists, these progressives, is trying to justify what they want to do. They really do believe that the source of all their unhappiness is God, is the church, is daddy, you know, all these is patriarchy, is the white man. I mean, it's just crazy. And as and for Christians themselves to be falling for this, it's just nuts. You write this, you you quote a sociologist by the name of Emile Durkheim, and you say that she observed that many people who had been set free from the so-called bonds of religion did not thrive in their liberty. In fact, they lost a shared sense of purpose, of meaning, and of community and many of them committed suicide. Is this where we're heading, Rod? Yeah, it, absolutely it is. Look, uh, Frank, at the statistics we're seeing today about depression among young people, and not just among young people, but especially among young people. Did, does this look like it's working to you? Mm -hmm. uh, what we have, and uh, the, the political theorist Hannah Arendt noticed this too in her book, The Origins of Totalitarianism. She wrote it in 1951 to try to understand why the Germans and the Russians gave themselves over to totalitarianism. The main reason she found is mass loneliness. The people in those societies, all the things that they had counted on to give them a sense of meaning and purpose and solidarity with each other, the church, traditional structures and so forth had been destroyed by war and economic collapse. People were desperate for something to tell them what to do, to give them a sense of hope, to give them a sense of bringing them back together. And the communists and the Nazis in those two different countries were there to give them this false hope, but it was something. I think we're seeing that happen right now with so many of the young people in this country who are actually turning to socialism and communism the church has, for whatever reason, not been able to reach them. The family has fallen apart. Our, the authority and our the belief in the authority of our political structures is falling apart. People are sitting ducks for totalitarianism. It's happening here, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to learn more about it and be able to stand against it, you need to get the book Live Not By Lies by my guest today, Rod Dreher. It's a fabulous book. Rod, you write this as well. Classical liberals are more concerned with individual freedom while leftists embrace equality of outcome. My question is, why is equality of outcome impossible and actually unbiblical? Well, it's impossible because in order to get equality of outcome, you're going to have to uh, to violate natural law. I mean, God made us, uh, God, we're all equal in the eyes of God in terms of the worth of our souls, but we're, each of us has been given different talents. And if we, uh, if we try to create a society in which everybody gets to the same point, then you are going to have to be terribly unjust to people who are given more talents or who are willing to work harder. Uh, and it is, this just can't work. I mean, even if it's, even if it were just to do that, it wouldn't be able to work, and communism proves that. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, in order to believe this is true, Frank, you have to believe that the only reason that everybody is not getting to the same goal, not getting up to the same goal, is because there's discrimination in society. It's simply not true. That's not human nature. Rod Dreher's my guest. The fabulous book, Live Not By Lies, is a must read. And actually, you got to follow what he says in there in order to, to stand against this. I'm Frank Turek. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. We're back in just a couple minutes. Don't go anywhere. 
If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Join our online community to have great conversations, grow in your knowledge of God, and become a better defender of the Christian faith. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we have hundreds of videos and over 100,000 subscribers that are part of our online family. Find us by searching for Frank Turek or cross-examine in the search bar. You can find many more resources like articles, online courses, free downloadable materials, event calendars, and more at crossexamined.org. Thanksgiving is coming up, ladies and gentlemen. We have a lot to be thankful for. We're to thank God in all circumstances. But our country was founded on freedom, and it's slipping away. If freedom is not defended, it will go away. And Rod Dreher's new book will help you defend freedom uh, in a way, first of all, by identifying where freedom is slipping away, and then secondly, what you can do about it. His name is spelled D-R-E-H-E-R. He's written several books, The Benedict Option, and uh, the brand new one is Live Not By Lies. Uh, And that's what we're talking about today. And Rod... Um, Andrew Sullivan said, we're all living on campus now, Hmm. Uh, which I think is probably a good insight that he says that everything is now politicized. Everything is now woke. At least wokeness is 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 approaching. And you write this uh, again in the book, Live Not By Lies, quote, you say under soft totalitarianism, the media, academia, corporate America and other institutions are practicing newspeak. And compelling the rest of us to engage in doublethink every day. Men have periods. The woman standing right in front of you is to be called he. Diversity and inclusion means excluding those who object to ideological uh, uniformity. Equity means treating persons unequally, regardless of their skills and achievements, to achieve ideologically correct results. Question, Rod, how can Christians stand up to this and how can we refuse to live not by lies? Well, it's a very complicated uh, question, Frank, because the, the, the threat is ubiquitous. I wish it were as easy as voting for the right candidate. And it's mm-hmm. important to be politically involved. Don't get me wrong. But I've seen so many of my fellow conservative Christians think that all we have to do is vote for a certain candidate and everything's going to be sorted out. It's not true. This uh, totalitarianism is coming through our companies, through the media, through uh, schools and so forth. The best thing we can do is, first of all, educate ourselves as to the nature of the threat. It is phenomenal how uh, how ignorant so many of my fellow believers are about what's happening. They, they, their kids are being propagandized through social media and uh, being propagandized to hate themselves, to hate the church, to hate the family. And parents seem to act like they're they're completely powerless here. You're not powerless. The the dissidents in the former uh, Soviet Union and the communist countries said that one thing you can do, you may not be able to change the government, but you can at least refuse to consent to what the enemy is trying to do here. So uh, one great thing to do, and I, I suggest people do this to follow the example of the people in the communist countries, come together in small groups to talk about what's happening. I dedicate the book, Frank, to a man named Father Tomislav Kolakovic. He was a Catholic priest from Croatia who had to escape Croatia to get ahead of the Nazis because uh, he was doing anti-Nazi work. He went to Slovakia uh, in a nearby country, lived under a false name, and taught in the Catholic university there. 
He told the students in 1943, uh, the good news is the Germans are going to lose this war. The bad news is the Soviets are going to be ruling this country. And the first thing these communists are going to do is persecute Christians. We got to get ready for it. So what Father Kolakovich did was he brought Christian students together to pray in small groups, to pray but also to look out at society, the things that were happening in their society, and to figure out what do we as Christians have to do to protect our own liberty and protect the church. And then they would decide how to act. They spread these groups all over Slovakia over the next three or four years. By the time the Iron Curtain fell in 1948, sure enough, just as Father Kolakovich had said, the communists came after the churches. And mind you, Frank, the bishops, the Catholic bishops of that country, had said that Father Kolakovich was being an alarmist. Things would never get that bad. It would never happen here. Kolakovich knew the communist mind. So when the Iron Curtain fell, the, the, the underground networks that Kolakovich set up became the backbone of the underground church and the only resistance for 40 years to communism. What I tell Christians in this country to do is we need to follow that example, whether you're Protestant, Catholic, Evangelical, whatever you are, understand what's going on around you, get together and talk about it in small groups, start making plans, plans to protect each other when persecution comes, when people lose their jobs. The churches need to be there to help them financially, even to employ them if we can, to start small businesses that can give us more, more of a cushion against the soft totalitarianism. There are a lot of practical things we can do, but what we can't afford to do, Frank, is to sit back and wait for somebody to come save us. It's not going to happen. The persecution is going to come in part through our religious leaders who are capitulating to this anti-biblical totalitarian scheme. The book, again, is Live Not By Lies. And I know, Rod, I found the study guide online for free, and I think it is for free online. It is. Uh, so, folks, if you get the book, and you should get the book, Live Not By Lies, there's a study guide that, uh, I don't know how I found this, Rod. Maybe you can tell people where to get it. Uh, where, where can they get that study guide? Because they should go through your book in a small group. Where, where can sure, they get sure. it? Sure, yeah. I, I prepared this uh, question and answer in each chapter. Uh, you can find it on my blog at uh, the American Conservative, theamericanconservative.com slash drear, D-R-E-H-E-R. Uh, or they can write to me, uh, rod at amconmag.com, rod at amconmag.com. Because it's really important. I mean, I, I find, Frank, that when I go talk to people, so many Christians are just unaware of, of what's really happening. And they think they have this winsome idea, this idea that if we're just nice to the world, then they'll leave us alone. Just and, like Jesus, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we're not called to get out there and scream our heads off at every mm -hmm. turn. We have to be smart about this. But eventually, we're going to have to take a stand. We're going to be backed into a corner. And I think the most important chapter in my book is the chapter on suffering. This is what I learned from the Christians in every country over there, that if we in the American church are not prepared to suffer, we're not going to make it. I wanted to ask you that. That was my next question. Uh, why must we be willing to suffer if we're going to resist this? Yeah, because suffering is the only way that we can prove our faith. Uh, prove that our faith has any any substance. I remember standing in Moscow a year ago, um, actually almost exactly a year ago, talking to this Russian Baptist pastor, a white-haired man who looked at me square in the eye and he said, you go back home and tell the American church, you've got to get ready to suffer. 
because uh, you will suffer. That They will try to make you, the state or whoever your persecutors are, will try to make you surrender your faith. And if you're not prepared to suffer as our Lord suffered, as the early church martyrs have suffered, then you'll break. And this man, Yuri Sipko, this pastor, had told me about his own family. Uh, he was born to a Baptist family in a Baptist community in Siberia during the Stalinist years. The Stalinists took away all the men of that community, the women had to raise those kids and raise them up in the faith. And Yuri told these stories about how his brave mother went to the communist school teacher and told her that, no, my son is a Christian. We're Christians in this house. They all had to suffer marginalization and everything uh, like that, even imprisonment, because they were Christians. But that is how they knew they were Christians, because they weren't going to give in no matter what. In our country, Christianity over the past 50, 60 years at least, We've been really blessed by having religious liberty, and a lot of us have prospered in the world, even though we're Christians. Those days are over, and uh, the days are the days are upon us now, and it's going to get worse and worse, where if we don't yield to what the world demands of us, if we stick by our faith, we're going to lose our jobs. We're going to lose status. We may even lose our freedom, but if we don't, if we aren't willing to do that, we're going to lose our soul. Live Not By Lies, ladies and gentlemen. That's my uh, that's the title of the book of my guest, Rod Dreer. Now, Rod, why am I skeptical that a 35-year-old latte-sipping, skinny-jeans pastor is ever going to give that message from the pulpit? <laughs> because it's not seeker-friendly, you know? But, <laughs> okay, but our, our, churches, our churches need to be finder-friendly. Uh, I think we're seeing right now COVID has been a real apocalypse for us in the sense of an unveiling, you know, the the formal meaning of the word apocalypse. It has shown us how weak we are as Christians. I, I found myself a couple of months into COVID, we couldn't go to church uh, at that point. And I, I was feeling really sorry for myself um, and for not being able to leave the house and see my friends. But then I thought about all these brave men and women of God who had been thrown in prison for years and years, who were tortured for their faith and the things they tried to say. This one man, Sylvester Kirchmeri, I write about, he was a young physician in the Slovakia thrown in prison. He said in his memoir about prison, he said he knew that he couldn't feel sorry for himself because if he began to pity himself, everything would fall apart. He would start to, uh, he would give in to torture and he would begun, become uh, the sort of person who hated his torturers uh, and Christ didn't give him that option. So what he began to do is to see suffering and limitation as an opportunity to share in the sufferings of Jesus and to learn to love God more, depend on Christ more, and to witness to his fellow prisoners. There's a story I tell in the, in the book as well, Frank, about a man named Alexander Ogorodnikov. He was a, became a Christian out of a communist family in the Soviet Union in the 1970s. And uh, when, by the time they threw him into the gulag, they wanted to make an example of him because he had come from a communist family. He witnessed to people uh, all the time, converted a lot of people in prison, men on death row. But he began to lose his faith at one point in solitary confinement and began to doubt what God, uh, to doubt the Lord because he was suffering so much. The Lord sent an angel to him to give him a vision of men being led to their execution, other prisoners. But the angel let Alexander know that these were men 
who were lost until he witnessed to them. They had come to Christ and they were going to be killed by the Russians, but they were going to be with the Lord in the end because Alexander was there to share the gospel with them. This man was telling me the story, Alexander, in this uh, hotel in Moscow last year, and he was crying. His face is partially paralyzed from the beatings he took in prison for being a Christian, but he knew that there was a reason for his suffering. We need to get in touch with that in the American church, with heroes like that, who are not heroes of uh, uh, 2,000 years ago. They're still alive right now. And there's so many more of these stories in the book, Live Not By Lies, and some really good advice. Let me point out one other thing, Rod. I, I can't pinpoint exactly where you say this in the book, but I think you remember saying that the people that go through this actually feel more content than those that that give in and and don't stand strong. Yeah, it's an incredible thing. That's one thing that, that uh, I learned from talking to these people. Those who were tried and came through it with their faith intact, and not only intact, but stronger, they have so much more peace today than the people who capitulated and who collaborated. Uh, I talk in the in the book, I talked to this young man, a Slovak photographer named Timo Krishka. Timo was a little boy when communism fell, and he's managed to prosper greatly, and he's tra- traveled a lot uh, uh, with his um, in his career after the fall of communism, but he couldn't figure out why he was so uh, unhappy with his life until he started interviewing and photographing uh, elderly people who had been in prison as young young people for their faith. And he saw Hold the, the faith. Thought, Rod. We'll come back. We'll come back in just a minute and complete gotcha. the thought there. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turk. My guest is Rod Dreher. The book is Live Not By Lies. Get it now. We're back in two. Friends, Frank Turek here. I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist is a listener-supported radio program and podcast. So if you like what you hear here, would you consider donating to crossexamined.org? 100% of your donations go to ministry, 0% to buildings. We're completely virtual. So if you can help us out, we greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. My guest is Rod Dreher. His new book, Live Not by Lies, is something every American needs to read. And now, I don't care what your political persuasion is. I don't care if you agree with the Democrats or the Republicans. This book is something everybody ought to read. Uh, Because if we lose our freedoms, ladies and gentlemen, it's over. And it will be much more difficult to preach the gospel and live the gospel if you have a totalitarian regime, either if that's from the government or even just from corporate America that tells you you can't live out your faith at home or at work. And that's where we're heading right now, unless we stand up to it. In a minute, I'm going to ask Rod to give us some ideas on how we can resist this. But Rod, you were you were talking about a story just before the break. Can you complete your thought there? Yeah, I'll finish that. Uh, this young man, Timo Krishka, uh, a millennial who was raised after communism, he couldn't figure out why he was so unhappy and unsettled, even though he had so many more freedoms than his parents' generation did. And then he started doing a project, going to visit and interview and make the portraits of elderly people who had been in prison for their faith in the communist era. And he said, just talking to these people who had lost everything, and in many cases were still poor today because of what they had gone through, it made him understand that the greatest totalitarian tyrant in his life was himself. That is uh, somebody who, as a young man who wanted success and wanted to get material things, and that was the source of his unhappiness. He was a believer too, but it took meeting people who had paid a radical price for the faith for him to realize that he himself needed 
to learn a, a new way to put God first in his life and put his career and all that second. And uh, I thought that was really a fantastic thing to learn. And it, it made me see ways that we are tyrannized in our society by our own freedom and success. You know, that's, yeah, we're more interested in comfort than we are in character. That's for sure. And that's our we, weakness. That is yeah. our Achilles heel frame. Mm-hmm. It is. And you write about it in Live Not By Lies. You know, another thing, friends, that you can do, especially with your kids, is you can play spot the lie. Whenever you see something that you know is a lie, you can just ask your child, where's the lie in this? It could be something on TV. It could be something on the internet. It could be something you hear uh, from a government official or from a, a college professor or just something that you know is a lie. Just ask. You don't have to break out the Bible. You can just ask your kid, hey, what's wrong with what you just saw here and see if they can catch it. A lot of times they will. But if you don't train them up in that regard, they're going to be sitting ducks for this leftist indoctrination that will hurt them if they don't comply. In fact, I want to go to another story that you had, Rod, in the book, Live Not By Lies. Her name is, I think it's Camelia, who had a husband in prison. Can you relate that story? Because that that blew me away. Yeah, Camilla Bendova is her name. Her husband, Václav, went to prison for four years. They were the only Christians in the inner circle in the in Czechoslovakia around Václav Havel, who led the opposition. And uh, Camilla knew that uh, her husband Václav, when he was around, he taught the kids to spot the lie. That's it's funny you bring that up because that's exactly what he did to teach the kids how to see the lies all around them when they would go out to school and out into the world. But Camilla knew that that wouldn't be enough. They not only had to teach those kids what was wrong with the world, but they had to fill the moral imaginations of the kids with what is good, true, and beautiful. So what she did, even though she was working as a professor herself under communism, even when her husband was in prison, she would come home at night and read for at least two hours a night to her children, her six children. I asked her, what did you read, Camilla? She said, well, I read to them myths. I read to them the classics of our literature because all they were getting in the government schools was garbage, ideological garbage. She said, I read them a lot of Tolkien. I said, Tolkien, that's really interesting. Why Tolkien? She looked at me square in the eye and said, because we knew that Mordor was real. (laughs) And that really got to me because it made me realize that fighting the lies in our society, it's not simply a matter of pointing them out, but it's also a matter of filling our children and our own moral imagination with what is true. Uh, Camilla also told me, Frank, I was sitting there interviewing her in her apartment in Prague, and I noticed she had a dumb phone next to her on the on the uh, coffee table. And I said, why don't you have a smartphone? She looked at me and said, if you had been through what we went through in this country, you would know that information is power. And whenever these companies, meaning Google, Facebook, or whatever, they harvest information from us all the time, from our smartphones, from our laptops. She said, we think we're so naive to think that it's all innocent. She goes, sooner or later, that information is going to be used against you. And Camilla pointed on her wall to uh, scars in the paint where she and her husband, after communism had had fallen, they took out the wires that the state, the secret police had put in the wall to spy on the family. Camilla said, people in the West need to realize that that is exactly what's happening to us today. Whenever you have an Alexa or a smart device in your house, this is what they're doing on the internet, what they're doing on smartphones. You can't fully escape it, but we have got to try to lessen our exposure to that sort of thing, because this, Frank, is going to be the basis for 
what I believe will be an American version of the Chinese social credit system. Yeah, the social credit system. Give us a minute on that because I read that and and that probably more uh, likely here than a authoritarian government. Uh, explain that briefly, if you could. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. This is this is key. This is how the soft totalitarianism is going to express itself. In China now, the government uses constant surveillance of people's smartphones, internet, all your your purchases with uh, credit cards and so forth to surveil each and every Chinese citizen. They keep what's called a social credit profile on each citizen. They never have to have somebody from the government look and spy on you and see what you're doing. It's all kept track of electronically. If you do things the government likes, like downloading the speeches of Xi Jinping, the leader, you get a higher credit rating. If you do things they hate, like go to church or hang out with deplorable dissidents, you get a lower rating. The lower your rating, the less privileges, the fewer privileges you have. They can even make it to where you cannot buy and sell unless you have approval of the government. Now, when I read about this, I thought, so this is how it happens. This is what the mark of the beast means. They actually have the capability in China now to do it. Here's the thing. We have the capability in the U.S. too. The government is not collecting this information, but Google, Facebook, and all the big corporations are. If they decide to cut Christians or other political dissidents out of the economy because we do things like go to church or we hold the incorrect opinions, they can do it. This is where it's going to come, where the threat is going to come. This is why also Christians need to start building networks now for how we're going to support ourselves when we can't get access to the economy. There's some even on the left today, some leftist Democrats you've heard after this you know, this election still disputed, but they're saying anyone that w- had anything to do with Trump shouldn't work anymore. I mean, if you've heard oh, yeah. this, this has been this is going to the cancel culture. These are the people who say they want unity and yet they want to cancel anybody that disagrees with them. I want to go back to a second, Rod, to this Camellia lady. Was, was this also the lady that her husband was going to get out of prison if he just if he recanted, they would have sent him west. And she said, no, stay in prison because, yeah, yeah. because we don't want to lie about this. Is it, was this yeah, the same absolutely. lady? Camilla, yeah. Her, her husband, they were going to kick him out. And they had been fighting for so many years, this communist government. The oh. communists said, you and your whole family can go to the west if you just come out and recant. Uh-huh. And he, he was broken down. He, he knew his family was suffering. And he goes, I want to do this. We need to think about this. Camilla said, no, stay there. We have too much invested here. We have got to be willing to suffer to show that the, the, the things we were fighting for are worth it. And sure enough, he did. And here's something else that's really interesting. None of these people, Frank, thought that they were ever going to live to see the end of communism. They did their resistance because it was the right thing to do. And they knew that the Lord saw them and the Lord would reward them, even if they wouldn't know reward in this life. Think about this, ladies and gentlemen, as Rod says in his book, this woman was raising six children alone in a communist totalitarian state. But she affirmed by her own willingness to sacrifice and to sacrifice a material and more comfortable and politically free life for her children for the greater good. She said, no, stay in prison, husband. Because it's the right thing to do, because we're not going to recant. Can you, I don't know if there's any, any American Christian that would do that today, Rod. We are, we've become so soft because we've had it so good for so long. Um, what are some other things that people can do? We just got a few minutes left here in the program. Other than get the book, Live, by, Live Not By Lies, what can, they, what can we do right now to try and, and, uh, and stave this off and, and, and push out against it? 
Yeah, get your kids off their smartphones. That is so important uh, because kids, we're seeing that this whole generation is being acculturated to life online and it is making everybody crazy. It's making kids depressed and it's making them sub, uh, subject to political extremism. I'm seeing it happen right here where I live in South Louisiana and red America. Uh, the social media has much more of an impact on forming the moral core of our young people than the family does, than the church does, than anything does. That is one of the most important things we can do. And one of the things that parents, I find even Christian parents feel the most powerless in front of, you've got to do this. Know, and you've got to get the Alexa out of your house. Yep. You have that. Um, if you had the government, imagine the government, Frank, came and said, uh, we would like to put a listening device in your house that will monitor your conversations and report back. Um, you would kick them out. You would never let them in your door. Mm -hmm. But when it's sold to us as consumer convenience, we pay for it. I mean, just wake yourself up to what's going on and to talk among yourselves about how to resist. Making small, strong communities is so key. I heard this over and over too, that uh, people in Moscow, they said that the only place they felt free was in apartments with other Christians, praising God and singing hymns, even though they knew that the KGB was everywhere around them. They at least knew that when they were with their brother and sister believers, that they were free. We've got to get into the habit of thinking just like this, because this is a post-Christian country. We're not gonna take back America for Christ in the short term. We have got to be prepared to suffer. So one day when this country, when this evil burns out, we'll they'll still have people who know who Jesus is and who are will, who, who have shown by the, our willingness to suffer that the faith means something. That's right. Rod, great book, Live Not By Lies. Everyone should get it. How do people find you online? At theamericanconservative.com and at Rod Dreer on Twitter, at R-O-D-D-R-E-H-E-R. -E Rod, thank you so much. A brilliant book. People need to get it, read it, heed it. And you can go to theamericanconservative.com and also get the study guide to Live Not By Lies. I'm Frank Turr. Great being with you, friends. Blessings this Thanksgiving. See you next week, Lord willing. God bless. See you. If you benefit from this podcast, help others find it. Just go to iTunes or any other podcast service you might be using to listen and leave us a five-star rating on the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast with Dr. Frank Turek. It will take you less than five seconds. You can also help a lot by leaving us a positive review for others to see. This podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and many other audio content delivery apps. Thank you and God bless.